Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast. It's our 74th episode. In this special mid-month podcast, we're going to look and discuss Andy's epic achievement, which was the Spine Challenge race. So welcome, Andy, to this special mid-month podcast. Hello. Are you fit and well? Very good, thank you. So if people don't know, Andy, what is the Spine Challenger race? And uh, yeah, what is the Spine Challenger race? Yeah, so it's an event um, sponsored by Montaigne that's been going for a number of years now, um, the Montaigne Spine. They do the events in the winter, in January, and in June, in the summer. And predominantly, they've got sort of three three races um, up the Pennine Way, so that's where we get the name the Spine from, the, the spine of the country, the, which the Pennine Way often gets called. And within the races that the organisation does, they have the Sprint, which is approximately 48 miles. They have the Challenger, which is the one that I did, which is approximately 108 miles. And then they have the Full Spine, which is the full length of the Pennine Way, which I think is about is it 268 miles. It's a long way. It's, a long it's the way. full length. So these are races. Um, I say races. I mean, a lot of people, they're not racing against anything specific. It's an event that you take part in where you're given a certain amount of time to do basically non-stop with whatever sleep you can get, depending on how you're doing time-wise, to get to various checkpoints at certain times and obviously get to the end and of the event. Just bring in that time. How long did you have to complete that 109 So the miles? one I was doing was the 108 miles. 108, so sorry. that is from, it's, I mean, it was slightly over 108, I think, just due to a couple of diversions that had him. What did you have as your figure? 109. 109, you see. See, I, think, I was rounding it up for you, Andy. I think it might have been 110, actually. It was. Right. There was a few diversions. But yeah, in, in a nutshell, round about the 110. So you start at Edale and you finish just north of um, Hawes at Hardrow and you have 60 hours to complete the full challenge in and but the first um the first checkpoint which is the one at hebden which is about 45 miles in that checkpoint shuts off at eight o'clock in the morning the, the following day from when you start at so 24 hours so you start at eight o'clock on a saturday morning but you are timed at various checkpoints the first one being if you get there at eight o'clock they're probably not going to let you continue if you get there a little bit earlier you've only got till eight o'clock in the morning then you have to leave that checkpoint yeah so you'll be away by the check by by the time it closes yeah. it's not arrived by there so i think we've already discussed if you listen to the, uh, the month uh, the podcast at the start of the month how did he get on and how far did he get so you probably realized i didn't quite finish the event i was very disappointed i did have to pull out um i'm saying earlier i did a fair old whack of of the course so i officially you would have me at probably the 90 mile mark but actually when i looked at the track due to that i recorded on my gps devices due to the odd diversion and changes in the route i'd actually walk 95 mile when unfortunately for various things i'm sure we're going to discuss i had to pull myself out of the event so really i only had about um another 18 miles to go which is a rather disappointing that I didn't quite uh, do it but it was that you know 95 mile non well you know virtually say non-stop with just small breaks and very little sleep uh, it's the furthest I've ever done so you were just climbing up um Penny Gent, weren't you That's yeah great. so I got um basically it was about um 
trying to think what time it was now. It's about half ten, I think, in the morning um, on the Sunday morning. And I'm um, sorry, Monday, Monday morning, morning, Monday morning. morning. Yeah, that would have been good if it was the Sunday yeah. morning on the Monday morning. And I was at the base of Penny Ghent. I'd started to actually go up Penny Ghent, and then for reasons um, I came about, um, which we'll go into, that's the point that I had to make the decision and then ring the, the safety team and get a, a quicker route down to one of the um, safety points, you know. Brilliant. And I know you're doing this for raising money for cha- two great charities. So how did you end up raising those? How yeah, those so um, two charities linked to me kind next door neighbour who was helping us out, doing a lot of the transport and meeting us at the start and um, at the end, um, he used to be in the Northumberland Mountain Rescue team with his wife. And I think I've mentioned before, his wife sadly passed away a couple of years ago um, after f- um, fighting MS for a lot of years. So I actually decided to do it for two charities that linked my next door neighbour together through their mountain rescue experience and his wife's MS. So for Northumberland National Park Mountain Rescue, I raised just over a thousand pounds. And for the, it's it's a charity called the MS Relief and Research Fund, actually based in Morpeth in Northumberland, where we are. Um, and I raised £1,000 for that charity. So over to, it was actually over £2,000 I raised. Which I know was above your target. You had, I think one seven fifty down, did you? Something I think I had seven fifty for each. One, I had a target yeah, of about right. £1,500. Fantastic. So I was really pleased. And thank you to everyone who did sponsor me. That was uh, brilliant. And I know my next-door neighbour was chuffed to bits. As I was sort of running it in memory um, with my next door neighbour Mike's wife Anne, so I know he was chuffed with what we raised for both of those charities, as were the charities. So going back all the way to the start, let's go back. So Saturday morning, so you registered on Friday afternoon, yeah. didn't you? Then you start line on Saturday, eight o'clock was it? You eight o'clock on Saturday morning, yeah. yeah. And what was the weather like? It was. Um, it, the sun was out. It wasn't particularly warm. It was probably ideal conditions. It was a little bit overcast. It was forecast for potentially a little bit of rain in the day, but it wasn't too hot. It was decent, decent conditions um, mm-hmm. at the start. Sun was just starting to poke out, but not too warm. So what was your thoughts when you saw every run off into the distance? Because that's what they all do. <laughs> <Yeah. in this. laughs> it was quite a nervous start. I've never done anything like this before. And you're looking around and everyone's there. Um, with you sort of looking at the backpacks and thinking, why have they all got much smaller backpacks than me? Why do they all look like they're professional athletes? And no, I mean, joking aside, there's a, there's a right mixture of people and there's all sorts of people there from serious ultra runners who are going to run the event to people who, you can't call it a fun event, it is a serious challenge, but people who are just very good long distance walkers. But you do look around and look at what other people have got, what they're wearing. And I think the backpack was the big thing. I'm thinking, why is my backpack so big? Why have they all got these teeth? How have they fitted everything in their little backpacks? It's called the imposter syndrome, this isn't it? It's a, it's a recognised thing where you look around when you're at an event or you're in business or anything in life, you look around and go, am I really, should I really be? <laughs> That's kind of a, you start doubting everything, don't you? I mean, I start realising a lot of these very fit, you know, brilliant athletes for what they achieve on this event, they're not, they know what they can do. They've done these events before, some of them. They don't have to carry as much water and as much food because rather than them aiming to do it within the 60 hours, they've got in their head that they're going to do it in 26 hours, 27 hours, 30 hours, much faster time. So they're not need, they still need all the same safety equipment. So I still was wondering how they all managed to pack that in so tight. Maybe I'm not good at packing me pack. But yeah, you, you, I was just nervous and you're looking around thinking, never done this before. Should I really be here? But don't doubt yourself at the end of the day. I put plenty of training in and 
like um, I mean, what John's saying about them running off. John's seen this before, and you'll have seen the videos because you have got a lot of people there. Um, I think there was a hundred, was it hundred and sixteen? I think started a lot of them with them being these serious athletes or semi-professional athletes that were away. They run straight away, whereas I was there as a long-distance walk. I really with a bit of running, so we just walked off at a decent pace, watching everyone else sort of not quite sprint but run into the distance. Mm-hmm. It's quite a climb, isn't it? The start is, he, is it Jacob's ladder? Jacob's away? ladder is pretty much within a couple of miles you're straight right. up to a steep climb which I never like I like to warm up during the anything I do when I do running many um, walks I do I like a like gradual start to get my lungs going really I could have done with doing a little two or three mile run just to warm up before I started so I always get that shock when you start off and then all of a sudden you're straight up a steep climb so that took the wind out of us a little bit I knew it was coming I mean I'd studied the route watched lots of videos um, so yes I did know it was coming Excellent. Some main navigation because it is the GPS training podcast. So how how it is fairly well waymarked, isn't the Pennine Way? So you can you go wrong in it or not really? I mean, bear in mind we're going non-stop and we're going through the night. So I was literally just walking through the night. Um, we'll talk about sleep and that. I'm sure as we get into the podcast. So there's times when you know one o'clock in the morning I'm walking for three or four hours. Yes, it was. It is the time of year when it's quite light, but still, it's not quite the same as sunlight and daylight so the two tools that i had with me i had my phoenix 7x watch which had the the tracks loaded from the organizer which was brilliant the the organizers give you the the gpx files to put onto your device as it was split into three sections so i had the phoenix 7x watch but i also had my gps map 86i unit with ordnance survey maps on so they're the two devices i had for navigation um, and map and compass as well what I found was, um, for the majority of the time, I was using my Phoenix 7 watch, 7X. I knew the battery life was going to be spot on. Um, I've only got 60 hours to do the event. And on all the testing I've been doing and training with my watch, I knew I would get more than the 60 hours. So I was recording the track on my watch as well and following, um, using either the compass point. Or I did bring the map up occasionally. If I was honest, a lot of the time on the watch, I was more looking at data boxes to do with how fast I was going, what's my average speed, um, what's my estimated time of arrival at the checkpoints that I'd marked in. And also looking when I come up to hills, I don't know if it was a good thing or not, but looking at the graphs on the watch and seeing myself move up the hill and knowing how far it was to the top to try and pace myself. Did you split that track into two? checkpoint one or not so you keep it as this whole what they've done is the organizers it's split it into sections um but there's when we talk about some of the checkpoints i'll mention some of the sort of unofficial ones Mm -hmm. i'd added them into using the garmin connect app i'd added um some of these extra checkpoints in as what we call via um sorry they're not via points they call them course points on the connect app and there's a new feature that we've got on the phoenix 7 ranger watch is called up ahead and I was able to go to the screen up ahead and say, ah, I know this track's going to checkpoint one, so I know how far it is to checkpoint one, but actually there's a point before that that I'm going to stop it and get some food that I've been told about. So that was in this up ahead, so I could say, ah, yes, that's, you know, 20 mile, 15 mile away. So the watch really did come into its own using all the tools I've mentioned there from, yes, seeing I was going the right way, looking at the map on the watch during the day, probably spend more time looking at data boxes and probably worrying too much well worrying about the estimated arrivals and the speed i was going and looking at these up ahead points 
Very good. But, and that, do you use the handheld or not? Yeah, so I was going to say, so during the day, the watch was brilliant, but what I found, there was a couple of points during the evening where there was some diversions that we had been told about, and of course it's dark you're tired i know there was a bit of light from the moon but you come to these points where you're thinking right there's a diversion the montane had signs saying going this way but then they told us actually ignore those diversions we want you to go the pennine way it's pitch black you're just looking at a field you know it's, you can only see so far where your head torch and there's a couple of points where i didn't go particularly too far off track the nice thing is the watch buzzes on my wrist when i go off course but when I was off course, I couldn't tell from the watch where I needed to go. I would have been able to a bit when you're tired and it's dark and you're looking at a much smaller screen. That's when I was turning on the GPS Map 86 with that much bigger screen. Um, really, the screen itself really lights up with the head torch. So I don't even need the backlight on. And then I've got an Ordnance Survey map on the screen. And I was able to zoom in and zoom out and say, actually... I need to be on this side of the field boundary. I, actually, I know we can't get the product anymore, but I had some bird's eye maps with the 1 to 25 map. If I hadn't had those, I would have been asking to borrow a 1 to 25 map, which I'm sure you would have lent us. And I think having that 1 to 25 map, I was able to look and go, oops, I've come the wrong side of the field here in the dark. The path's actually on the other side of the field and double back on myself, you know. So yeah, to be honest, you know, watch use brilliantly during the day, but there's a lot of time in the evenings where I had the hand held in my hand most of the time. And how long was it actually dark then? So would it gone dark at 11-ish? Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it doesn't... I mean, I'm trying to think sunsets about half 10 this time right. of year. So yeah, half 10, 11, and then really 3 o'clock in the morning, okay. you're starting to see sunlight again, or daylight again, sorry. But interestingly, see, on the first day, um, I might be getting this mixed up, there was certainly one day when the moon was brilliant and I didn't really need the head torch. But it's inter It's still different to navigating in the daylight. There's still only so far ahead you can see and I still found the handheld GPS was better in those scenarios. But there was one of the evenings where it was quite cloudy and the moon wasn't out and it was it wasn't pitch black, but it was pretty dark. So the handheld really helped. Um but of course head torch on as well. And I can tell you a funny story about the torch on me watch as well if you Go on, yeah, go on. So we're talking about the navigation. I got this bit where I did get a little bit I'm I'm, I'm lost I don't want to, you know, I hadn't went very far off. You know, I might have been 20 metres away from where I should have been. So I was trying, I realised it looked like, I'm sorry, I realised I was in the wrong field because I put the handheld on. And I thought I could see a track that went into the other field, but I think it was just a sheep track going down to the stream to get water. So I scrambled down this little track, realised it was a barbed wire fence on the other side. And then before I knew it, my hat, I had my woolly hat on with my head torch. It got caught in the hawthorn tree and the hawthorn tree whipped my head torch off. <laughs> You're going to laugh. I then dropped my handheld GPS in the oh, panic because no. I slipped down in the mud. And I'm going, what do I do? It's like pitch black now. My head torch is waggling somewhere in the tree. I remembered, of course, my Phoenix 7X watch has a LED torch on it. And I've said it, so it's just a simple press of a button to turn it on. So I actually put the torch on, on my Phoenix 7 to shine it into the tree to retrieve my hat and my head torch. And then I was able to pick up my handheld. So that was quite, well, I don't know if it was amusing at the time, but it is when you look back at it. <laughs> I know that situation is pitch black. You go, what do I do at this point in my life? Yeah, you kind of so having the torch on the Felix 7X, we all joked about the little LED torch on the 7X, but hey, I did use it in a real situation there. So it's interesting you say you use the watch a lot and looked at the boxes and got your stats of how quickly you're walking and this kind of thing. 
do you think what what are the main things that you think had the effect on on your speed so do you think you slowed time at night time or are you going to say it was the hills that slowed you down or was it um yeah what is it do you feel during the daytime you're walking quicker or or you say well actually at the start when i was fresh i was walking quicker anyway i'm interested to know do you, do you feel your pace drops i've at got nighttime? a right mixture of things really i think the main thing is I thought I could get away with maybe, I don't mean just scraping in, but just not pushing, sorry, not pushing myself doesn't sound right, pacing myself too slow at the start, because I was told really, don't try and go too fast at the start, and but you know, you've never done 108 miles before, you don't want to burn out, so potentially I think I maybe took that a little bit too far, and I started a little bit too, I don't want to say casual, but a bit slower than I maybe should have, Um but really it was the hills. I've done lots of long distance training. I've done lots of training, as you know, on the Northumberland coastal path where dogs are, I know, I'm not daft, I know it's not as hilly as the Pennine Way, but you think, wait there, I've just done a 60 mile on the coastal path, fairly fast, non-stop in 20 hours. I'm a decent walker at pace. I've done a fair bit of running, but I don't think I've done enough hill training. Mm-hmm. And it was the, the amount of hills that you've got, of course, on a big distance like that, I wasn't fast. I need to be faster up the hills. When you're just doing a nice casual day walk with some friends, we all do the, well, I'm just going to stop and take a picture and get my breath here. I'll just walk a little bit further up this hill, stop and get a breather. I really need to have got some harder training on the hills to be able to, yes, you're going to slow down on the hills, but to keep going at a steady pace rather than stopping for a breather, walking a bit, stopping for a breather. And I think that was my main yeah, I think you're right. With these long distance trails, the big thing is is momentum, isn't it? I know Paul Freeman, who I interviewed on a earlier podcast, you no, know, he said to me, do you know, he tried to walk the Northumberland Coast Path once and failed, and he said it was because we stopped for breakfast for three quarters of an hour, an hour, yeah. you know, on a, on their twenty four mile, a twenty four hour window to lose an hour out of it. Yeah. You just can't do it, can you? So it's that momentum, really. Do you think nighttime slowed nighttime, you down? Not really. Yeah, no, there was know. a few bits in the night where I mean, a brilliant head torch, and I could see what was down in front of us. But it it does put you off. At, you know, if you're not used to doing loads of nighttime navigation, which I had again training, I wasn't daft. I knew I had to train in the night, and I'd done plenty of nighttime walking, but it's still more difficult. You've got to be a little bit more careful. You come to steep downhills in the night. Yes, you shine your head torch down in front of you, but you're still going to be more wary. There's something in your mind anyways. It's dark. I can't see every obstacle in front of us. So you do naturally, I think, slow down a bit. I still don't think that was the main factor. I still think it goes back to the hills, even though that does play a part in it. But you know you're going to be walking in the night. So that isn't my concern. It's I needed more training on this on the hills a lot more hill climbing i think um, that's what saps your energy out when you hit those hills and you're already a little bit fatigued you can yeah. just go ah now the knock-on effect on that just to give you an idea again why you know when i get to the reasons why i ended up dropping out if i'd been faster on the hills at the start it all has that knock-on effect that you then get to the checkpoints quicker if you get to the checkpoints quicker bear in mind actually on ours we've only got one official checkpoint um, sorry, two official checkpoints. So the first checkpoint was at Hebden Bridge at 45, um, 45 miles approximately. So I got there at six o'clock in the morning and I mentioned earlier that checkpoint closes at eight. Now, a lot of people were getting there, even the, the you know the long distance walkers, not the runners, were potentially there at two o'clock in the morning. They can then get two or three hours sleep, get themselves ready and away from that checkpoint at five o'clock, six o'clock. So me getting there at six o'clock meant you had time to change your kit if you needed to sort your feet out 
change your food but really just a half hour sit down in a chair by the time you've done all that so you've been going all day from eight o'clock in the morning you then get to a, a checkpoint the next morning you know 22 hours later and you're straight out after half an hour sleep so that not on effect then at the next checkpoint again um, one of the unofficial checkpoints at a place called cowling which was organized by the cowling triathlete club amateur group that for, totally do this as volunteers an unofficial checkpoint where you could sleep but again you're getting there late so i only got i got about an hour sleep there maximum mm-hmm. so it was a long time to go without sleep and i think that's that that was it what we as dot watchers could all be critical from a distance I mean, that's what yeah. we kind of saw from the distance is actually i'll be honest with you my wife killed me on that saturday morning because i got up at five o'clock in the morning went downstairs to get my mobile phone first thing was where's andy where's andy and i got, got up back to him, he said he's caught everybody up again he's caught everybody up but i think in a, a time i didn't realize that those people would have reached the checkpoint had been sleeping two yeah. or three hours and then you come in two or three hours later and then really the knock-on effect was they they were fully refreshed fed bang off they go yeah. in and you just kept going well actually the last official checkpoint which is one you just meant to stop for half an hour it's more like a medical checkpoint yeah. to check you're fit to continue cup of tea on your way you're not really meant to sleep there is it malum so that's at 84 mile mark now when i got to that checkpoint which i think was about 10 to 6 in the morning something like that i'd been going all through the night then um, since me sleep the day before the little hour sleep I had at four o'clock in the afternoon so all through the night there was a couple of lovely guys there who I'd met on the journey and they were I think they had sat down for half an hour and they'd come through to the room I was in and they were sort of oh how are you here oh that's brilliant so I had caught them up um, and one of those guys did finish um, so really I, if I'd been able to stick with that guy but of course he had had when it were at the first checkpoint at Hebden, he had had a few hours sleep and then we'd both left together. And then at the next checkpoint where I'd caught him back up, he had had a bit of rest where really I was just in and out, you know. Yeah. So how many hours sleep, going to sleep, how much sleep did you have during those you know, two and a half days? If I was honest, I'm going to say none because right. I didn't have any proper sleep. It was rest light. So at the first checkpoint, sitting in a chair for half an hour, dozing. Mm-hmm. At the um, non-official checkpoint at Cowling, where you've got a lovely group of people who, I'll be honest, they want a big shout out at Cowling. You get there and do you want a bacon sandwich? Do you want anything to eat? Do you want some crisps? Do you want sweets? Do you want chocolate? Do you want a coffee? There's tents where you can lie down where they had a mattress. So they really look after you. So I got there and I just had 10 minutes in a chair and I thought, I really do. My eyes are struggling here. I'm feeling a bit low i do need to lie down so i went into one of the tents for about an hour but it was so hot as well this is about four o'clock in the afternoon i didn't really sleep and yes it, it is still a break i was lying down for an hour so really i had the half hour in the chair at the first checkpoint you're not sleeping just the rest the hour at the cowling when i got to the unofficial checkpoint at malham i think i did manage to squeeze about half an hour in a chair so really that was two hours and I think the only other time I can think of is um, we have a big shout out to Nikki's Burger Bar on the M62, which is about 30 mile in where she stays open 24 hours for all the spiners. So I think I was there at about 11 o'clock on the first day at night. Um, so you get some food there. She looks after you. There's some spine officials there as well. I probably did have a bit of a 30, 40 minute break there as well. Mm-hmm. So no more than three hours stopping but not, none of that was sleep. So to be honest, from the eight o'clock on the Saturday morning to when I pulled out at the 10.30ish on the Monday, 
no sleep really. It's amazing. So I, I based myself that I could actually have that adrenaline that you can keep going with no proper sleep and just those small breaks. Did you feel you, you wanted to sleep then? Or was it just a case of, I've not got time to sleep? Did, if, 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 did it again and you were, say, five hours ahead of yourself, um, would you stop for three hours to sleep? I think because when I got, to, thinking back when I got the Penny Ghent and I had this problem where I had had a small injury as well, then that was one of the reasons. But I was just so drained. I just was sapped of energy. And I mean, I wish I could have pushed on a bit more, but I think I really was so tired at that point. So I'll not know. I mean, I want to do this event again. And my thoughts are that, yes, if I can get a lot faster, and I mean a lot faster, not just knock an hour off here, I need to really train hard starting now so it's funny when you say that is is so i'm, I'm a, I, when i ever do anything like this you've seen i've, I've loved you my spreadsheet i do spreadsheets of where yeah. i need to be at what time and you kind of look at yourself like okay 45 miles in do you know what if you'd walked half an hour i say half a mile an hour quicker over that time you're there like hours and hours and hours no it's, it's phenomenal really when you start looking like spreadsheets you're gonna well i'll do it i'll do it 2.3 miles an hour 2.5 miles an yeah. hour whatever it's amazing then you can say right i'm gonna reach there i've got seven hours i've got five hours or something yeah. like that isn't it? See, in my head i was hoping to get that checkpoint at two or three in yeah. the morning which wasn't breaking any record no, no, no. but then to just to have had a couple of hours sleep there two or three hours sleep i would have then be two hours ahead of what i was and had have had three hours sleep but that means when you get to the next checkpoint at Cowlin, I could have potentially said, oh, yeah, we'll have half an hour mm -hmm. lie down here because mm -hmm. I'm that much further ahead. But I didn't have that leeway. I mean, I'll be honest, there was points in it where suddenly the adrenaline just kicked in. And I thought, I know I'm going to be cutting it fine to do it. But actually, I can't believe I'm still going, having had no sleep. And suddenly I just feel awake. The sun would be coming up and something would just suddenly shake us out of this wanting to go to sleep and you just push on so you do get those moments it's funny how it just suddenly hits you and you can't you know is it just because you've had a bit of food you know I, I was snacking the whole time I don't know but it was interesting just to suddenly go from being totally sapped not actually have any sleep or stop and then suddenly the body go oh no I feel good now it's, it's uh, amazing it's strange old, uh, I think that's fitness though you within the walk like that your body is recovering as you're still walking as such or, or, or when you stop that you need to recover quickly as fitness is recovery isn't it yeah. you know I always yeah. say you know the Paula Radcliffe running the um the London Marathon you know she kind of if it gets over the line and she's recovered in you know in in a, a few minutes where the rest of us would be off work on the Monday to recover yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look at, I mean I came back fairly sharp after doing yeah. it and I, to be honest all my legs were this part of me frustrating thing is um, going back to when I dropped out it was a mixture of the sun was it was baking hot I mean those last couple of days were up to 26 degrees if not higher it was baking hot that drained you I was drinking plenty of water so it wasn't an issue with the water but when I got the penny Ghent, I think some of it was mental you're looking at the hill you're really tired I should have, you know, I am kicking myself now. Why didn't I just push on? But I'd slipped in the night before and twisted my knee a little bit. And what I was finding is going uphill wasn't so bad. But every time I put my right leg down, I was getting this horrible twinging in the knee where, I'm not going to exaggerate, it wasn't buckling, but it, I felt like it could potentially go that way. And my decision when I got the bottom of Penny Ghent, I think was very tired, very hot, and feeling that, what if I go up to the top of this Penny Ghent, which I'm sure I would have got if you saw me on the track and I was sort of starting to go up then coming back down and then I can't get down the other side. 
I didn't want that on my head that I'm ringing Mountain Rescue to help me down. I'm sure, I mean, we have all the support team there with the spine, but I didn't want to be that person. Part of me is wishing I had pushed on now, but I'll never know. But I did. It was a mental thing, the heat, the exhaustion, and just this injury that I had in my knee. If people have walked the Yorkstales Three Peaks and they actually dropped out where you go up the uh, Pennygenter, like, so you start from Horton and Ribblesdale if you do the Yorkstales Three Peaks and you go up that path there and then you go through that gate at the top, you turn left and climb that final bit. So you keep saying the bottom of Pennygenter. I pulled them up last time about yeah, this. I, I was near the, the top of it at that point. And you've done literally um, three quarters of the climb into the top. Only half a mile to go you to get to the top. Exactly right. I, did, I mean, in my head, I didn't realise that. Yeah, no, it's it is. It's, so people have done it. That that's exactly what the gate on the left hand mm-hmm. side. You drop back down the way that everybody else is walking yeah. up if they're doing the Yorkstales three peaks. So that's where we go. So let's let's kind of to bring it all together. Like what what was the high point? What is the the not the high point of the walk? Not the highest point of the walk. The high point is personally where you kind of thought, um, this is it. This is. I mean, the sweet spot. That is it. Nighttime? Is it daytime? Will you listen to music? Is it? Is it when? Or is there a point when the sun was rising or something? You kind of thought like that's that sweet spot. Was there a point? I think time? you know. Um, getting near the last stages. Three. Um, sorry, not the last stages. Um, that night before I dropped out, I had fe- been feeling a bit deflated, thinking I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, I'm behind time. Then as I walked through that night when you're thinking, right, I've had no sleep. There's no way I'm going to be to go through this night again with no sleep. And my mind was thinking, well, if I stop now and have a couple hours sleep, I'm not going to finish it. I'm not going to do it within the 60 hours. So walking through the night and then as we're coming into the morning and the sun was rising um, at Malham. Now, I did stop at Malham. I forgot that. I had about 10 minutes just to give myself a break before I climbed up Malham. But at that point, I was actually think, looking at me watch and thinking, as long as I can keep going at this speed, which I know wasn't a mega fast speed, I might have only been doing about two mile an hour at that time, I will do it within the time. And I, I, I surprised myself thinking, I'm not going to get through this night. You know, there was a lot of people had already, you know, a number of people had already dropped out. And I thought, I'd, maybe I'm going to be one of those. I've had no sleep. I didn't get to the checkpoints quick enough. But it was quite a high to think when at that morning when actually I didn't feel like you're going about, did you feel like sleeping? I'm thinking, wait there, I've had another night of no sleep. And I've kept going. Um, so that was quite a high point. At that point, I thought, actually, and this this is before I realised how twingy my knee was, you know, because that was in, it was in the early hours of the morning that I did my knee, but it wasn't until later on, after I'd climbed up Malham and was coming back down a downhill, that I realised what my knee was doing, you know. So at that point, I was still feeling pretty good. Yeah, so that was your high point. We kind of thought, I can do this. I can actually all... do it. I've, I've went through another night with no sleep. Yeah. It's a, I can't believe how little sleep you have. <laughs> I don't believe how somebody's done a few things like this before. I kind of think, really? How can anybody walk for that distance without stopping and close your eyes and just waking up an hour or the two? The most I'd now. ever done before was when I did that coastal path training and I did 22 hours, 20 hours, something like that, non-stop, half an hour's rest somewhere, no mm-hmm. sleep whatsoever. And that was fine, but it's a lot less distance, and a lot less hilly. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was quite, that was, you know, I was feeling down prior to it, but I think when I came out of that night and thought, wait there, I've just got through a night here with no sleep for the second time and I'm still going. And actually looking at the time cut, time scale, as long as I can keep going at this speed, which wasn't like, it wasn't, if I was slower than I normally walk, um, I will do it within an hour or so to spare, you know. So then, a complete row reversal, which was the, what was a low point? What was a low point of the walk? 
It will be when I dropped out. Um, well, I've got two low points really. The first one has to be when I dropped out, and that wasn't uh, it wasn't like a quick decision. I didn't just get the bottom of penny get and go, oh, that's it. I kind of do this. I sat there, a lovely guy who had been walking with us who sadly, I think he dropped out. He got up to Penny Gent and then dropped out the other side. But he'd caught me up then. So I'd actually got ahead of him. He'd been ahead of me most of the time. And he was asking us how I was doing. We're having a bit of chat. And I told him I wasn't sure if I could continue. You know, and he was giving us the motivation. Said, well, you know, I'll give it a try. But I started, I don't know if I talked myself out of it because of me knee, but... I was sitting there going, right, do I go? Let's walk up a little bit. And then every time I walked back down a bit, it was the knee that seemed to be the issue. Um, Very tired as well. I got quite emotional. I had tears in my eyes. I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't just a, um, oh, you just ring up and say, I'm not going to do it. Um, I was thinking, if I make this call, once you ring them and say, I'm pulling out, they stop your tracker, they get one of the safety team to come and meet you somewhere that's it you can't suddenly walk so far down and actually I've changed my mind you know so I took quite a while deciding what to do and I was really annoyed at myself yes I, you know I think I've walked 95 mile but so close the sort of a second low point because when I got back you know got picked up by my kind neighbour from the safety team point and back at the campsite waiting for my friend to finish you start thinking um, I had this bad knee and you say to people I had this injury in my leg and they're thinking I haven't got this injury. Where's this? My knee doesn't feel... I know you're only walking around on the flat. You've had a shower. You're a bit more refreshed. But I'm thinking, wait there. I don't feel that tired and that bad having just walked 95 mile. Why couldn't I push myself up that hill? My knee doesn't even feel that bad now. Was it really that bad? Was it in my mind? Was it just the tiredness, you know? So I probably felt lower then thinking... Gee, you know, yeah, I should have pushed on if I'd had someone there saying, come on, come on. You know, I was on my own at that point. I know the lovely guy who came past give us some mm-hmm. encouragement, but once he'd gone, that's it. You're sitting there on your own. And I probably felt lower that next evening. That, sorry, that same evening when you're sitting back thinking, I don't even feel that bad. Why didn't I continue? Yeah. But it's something I'll learn learn about. And, and I think as well is, is because you were up against the clock all the time, that's the hard bit where I suppose if you've been four or five hours ahead you can think right, I'm going to stop for a couple of hours rest see how I feel and then move forward but you you, you right you rightly made that decision because actually you know what I've not got the time to stop for three or four hours otherwise I'm going to be bowled out for whatever reason aren't you yeah so I think that that would have impounded on the that decision as well I would have thought I'm think, trying to think I had I mean at that time scale I think I had about 18 or 19 miles to go with nine and a half hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. So in your head, it is. I have to. I can't slow Just down to one and a half mile an hour. Or if I do, I need to then on every downhill. That was my worry as well. I suppose I had in my mind on the downhills. I ain't going to be able to do that jogging, which I had done. I mean, even that night time, I'd come to some downhills and done a little bit of jogging. Even at that late stage when I was very tired, but I was thinking with the knee that wasn't as. I mean. It, it it was twinging, it was hurting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that wasn't all in my mind, but I think it was exaggerated mentally yeah. just by being exhausted, mm-hmm. you know, and looking at the steep hill that you've got to go up after after walking ninety five miles. You, you mentioned some of the other people there you walked with and bumped into throughout the trail. Was it a benefit to walk with other people, or do you prefer walking on your own in after the event? Now you've done it. Ah. Uh, I think the hard thing is having someone who walks at your pace and exactly your type of um sorry I was going to say your type that doesn't sound right yeah, yeah. your your type of walking with the yeah your pace they, they, they're, you don't want to feel that 
um, they're having to wait for you or you're having to wait for them. So yes, I'd love if I had someone who was literally, you trained and you were exactly the same pace and you knew that the whole time you're going to be the same. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But yes, I think having someone there, it does give you encouragement. And sometimes when you're chatting away, you know when you're on walks and you're chatting to someone before you know it, you go, oh, we just walked five miles, we just walked 10 miles in the blink of an eyelid because you're chatting to someone. But when you're on your own and in an evening, especially, it can get quite lonely. And I'm not the best person out in the dark. I do. My mind does wander a bit and you're looking around and you start seeing shadows in the shadows and... Uh, I'm not saying I was, I'm was. i a big scaredy cat in the dark, but, you know, it is, you know, on your own, you've got to be mentally ready for... There was big, big stretches where there was no one around me at all, you know, you were walking through the night. And I think that's it, really. You know, you, you've, you've got to walk with someone who, as I say, walks at your pace, or alternatively is willing to sacrifice what they're doing to help you, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you, you, you know Paul, you know, I walk with Craig. Yeah. You know, Paul is, is phenomenal, because actually he comes and joins me for sections of walks, and walks with me not at his pace <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a retired professional footballer so he, he kind of he's, he's into the fitness world so he, that that's what you need isn't it where you're walking with various people you want to stop at different times they want to yeah. stop at different times don't I you? think I definitely do benefit from people I mean on some of the training walks I did with some of my friends were in a little group and sometimes I would be the one ahead of them yeah. and I'm saying come on come on you can catch us up come on you know you're doing great then you give them encouragement and then they catch you up and then you're feeling a bit tired they give you a bit of encouragement we all encourage each other and don't get us wrong on the way I must give a big shout out. I mean, one the, the staff, the volunteers at the Spine are amazing. I mean, at the checkpoints, the way, I mean, me getting to that checkpoint at six o'clock in the morning when you haven't got much time, you know, it was a trek like a VIP. They were rushing around to help us as best they could. Do you need anything doing with your feet? Can we bring your food in? They're amazing. The staff that you meet on the way, they give you loads of motivation. And the other competitors, when you did, you know, don't get us wrong, I was at the back, so it's not often I had competitors with us. But when you do meet them, lovely people everyone and actually um people you meet on the way who know you're doing the event they can tell from your number and they know what you're doing they're there just for a, a walk on the pennine way and they would be giving you encouragement um oh, it is those people on the checkpoints make it don't they really because oh, there's kind of, amazing it's... stuff and uh i'll go back i'll give a big shout out again you said to me when you're feeling a bit low look at messages that you're getting through from like the GPS training, Facebook, the WhatsApp, all the messages. And I was looking at the sponsorship coming through as well. And that was amazing, you know, and that did help. Again, there's times in the night where, I mean, there wasn't loads of times I was getting my phone out to look at it. Uh, I had actually got a phone call from the safety team one night because my tracker wasn't working. And because I had my phone out at the time after speaking to them, just to let them know everything was okay, I thought, ah, I've got a good mobile signal here. And I started reading some of the messages coming through. And that does motivate you and keep you going. It takes your mind off. There's some nice, kind messages coming through the whole time from customers and friends and family and do you that. listen to any music or anything like that or not to keep you motivated no though? i mean interesting you run with it you run with music I run with yeah. music but no i mean yes it's how long a battery's going to last and using more battery on whatever you're carrying but I, I don't i mean it may have helped you know but i think really yeah if i'd had someone with us where you were with someone all the time which i don't think i think that's very hard to manage that and have that situation and um, that would help but I know what I need to do now. Well, we're going to move More on to prepared. that anyway. So, um, so you already said you're going to do it again. So when do you, when does it, when does it open up for registration again? I mean, this is the one thing that just shows you 100% literally that evening. Um, 
when it, after you know we're at the campsite and I said to me next door neighbor who'd helped us and was there at the end I said I'm doing it again 100% I will 100% sign up for this the minute you can I know what I need to do now and I think I mean I signed up last year I think it was August yeah. time so I don't think it's far away I think it'll be the latter end of this month or early August when they'll put it on on again and the first thing I'll be doing is signing up again because I need to just for myself really I, it's something I need to do and I, I think I'm well everything I've talked about I know what I need to do to be better prepared and that's my final question here is there any different prep or events you're going to do in the build-up i.e next year's events so put a line under this year yeah. starting again what are you going to do differently next time? What are, what are you what are you going to tell our listeners that you've learned from it and what can help us as well? Yeah. Well, last year, I didn't know I was going to sign up to it until it was after it was the end of August. And I don't think I found out I'd got in until the September. So really, it wasn't until about the September. Right, I'll start training for this event. So the difference is now we're, we're now into first week in July. I started training a week after we got back so a week ago i've started me training so i'm starting the training a good few months earlier um training wise i'm gonna push myself with some serious hills and what i want to do is not just well let's walk up this hill and do a long distance let's push up this hill let's get my breathing so i'm really pushing it everything my lungs are going like i don't know what i might be struggling if i don't quite finish it let's go back again and do that same hill again that same hill again and just continuous hill hill training where i live where where we live where we live and works very hilly so when i do runs in an evening and i tend to just do these little 5k runs where there's always a few hills i'm going to start now sorry i have already started where there's a hill where we live where i've been at the bottom of the hill i'm sprinting up the hill walking down sprinting up the hill walking down and i'm just going to spend my nights people will be sick of seeing me running up there the hills where i am just really pushing the hills just to get those legs stronger and 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 lung stronger mm-hmm. i suppppose that's earlier on in your training i know you're early for next year is actually knows again that fitness that really isn't again that backup and then when i get that more hill ready i'm gonna enter some more events where really last year after september i didn't i think i i went into one event in the lake district was just i'm saying just but a 25 mile fairly hilly one but i need to be doing some of these other smaller ultra events that are like 50 miles there's one in windermere called the lap which is quite a challenging mm-hmm. one which i know my friend jane she, she's done that one a couple of times so it's getting into those more of those events prior to the spine so rather than saying oh i've only done a couple of these 60 mile training runs it needs to be three or four of them but ones where there's a lot more hills um I'm doing so I'm I've got some advice off someone regarding breathing exercises I've actually got this little device that I know I think athletes use where it might just sound something a bit gadgety but I've been told it really does work it's a little device that you you breathe in through um, it looks like an inhaler and you do it twice a day and then you train yourself by turning up the pressure on it and it's to really help your lung strength so I'm do- anything I can find that I think might help um I'm taking on board and I may actually, I don't know 100%, but uh, through a friend I go running and walking with, they have a family member who was a fitness instructor in the army. So I'm going to see, have a quiet word in that ear and see if I can get someone like that involved to help us out and with their experience of the sort of job they have done. Just anything I can do really just to get that level of fitness that I thought I had a bit higher so I don't feel it's it's still going to be a challenge, but so it's not maybe as much as of a challenge next year. And yeah. that's not that sounds a bit. It's still going to be a challenge, yeah. but 
I can target myself to actually do it within a much better time scale so it's not so much of a constantly chasing your tail. And for the listeners, if there's any listeners who have never walked that distance or never done an ultra event, so an ultra event really anything over a marathon, what one thing would you say to them if they were thinking about doing it? What one thing, one bit of advice after you've been through what you have, one bit of advice that you would give them? I think it is one thing. One thing. I mean, it is train hard. Don't go. There's a, there's a little running club in the village that I'm in. Lovely guy who's like a, you know, he's an athletics coach who does the training there. We're, we're just a fun group. We all go for a little bit of fun. And he's always said to me, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks, you know, we're not saying that easy if you've never ran before. You build up them if you've never ran before. But, you know, you, you can you can walk, run them. Great North Run as an example, half marathons. He's always said to me, if you don't mind the, the terminology, you can wing it, you can wing a half marathon. If you, you know, just reasonably fit like an outdoorsy person, but you're not into running an ultras, you can wing a half marathon, even if you're walking a little bit. But he's always said to me, as soon as you get past that half marathon, so you're up to a marathon or like the ultras, you can't wing it. You have to have a set pattern and target, you know, write down like you do. You write down all your, I know you're very good with your notepads and like when you're doing the ultras, where you need to be at certain points, but way before the event, write down, well, at week three, I need to have done this. At week five, I need to have done this and stick to a plan and build up and build up and build up. Don't just go like maybe a bit like me. I've done half marathons. I've done lots of long distance walks. I can just go into an ultra without some, extra training i mean i didn't do that myself i'm not trying to i did put a lot into it but i needed to do more so you need to have a plan in front of you and give yourself plenty time you know if there's an ultra coming up in a couple of months time and you've never done one before two months is too soon look for one further down the line and there's look i mean the thing is on the internet there's loads of advice you get off all these communities the ultra communities you know you can put messages on Facebook and that and they'll advise you what you're doing, what you should be training with and doing, which is what I'm looking into more now, what I should have probably done prior to. But you look back on the journey to get where you got to with great fondness or not? Because, like, because you know, before you'd done this, your longest event, I know you've done the, the one of the latest, had been like competitive, it really been a half marathon, the great yeah, marathon. So I mean, it's it was, where, you, where you got to. That's oh, a big jump. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Do you know, from... Um, like from where you, where you started from, so you must look back and think, look back through that journey, those training, your night walks, your your walks um, down the Northland coast. Great memories. Something that I I know for a fact is you'll never be able to capture again because actually you can only do that once. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I was very disappointed. And I did get upset at myself, but at the same time, it was thinking, wait, I've never no. walked that sort of distance ever in even half that di- well, I think the biggest I'd ever done in the lakes but we're going back 25 30 years when I was a hell of a lot younger I did a challenge the three sorry the four three thousanders which is 40 odd mile but still that's not 95 mile so yeah I was chuffed to bits with that and I know even just in the last year I know I'm a lot lot fitter and it goes back to something you mentioned earlier on in the podcast it's about recovery the fact that that night I was thinking I don't. I was tired. I fell asleep quite sharp that night. But apart from tiredness, I wasn't. Uh, there was a few little limps and a few little niggles. But a couple of days later, I'm thinking, "Where's all these aches and pains? I'm actually feeling not bad." And I'll give you one. Re- I'll, I'll end on a really big positive that I, t- I amazed myself with this: ninety-five miles and not a single blister. 
and that's not something that I knew was going to happen because I'd done as soon as I started doing those 50 mile training runs um, on the coastal path I was getting blisters and I was trying to manage them tape feet not very successfully something clicked and I got it right for this event so even when I was mega tired and it was three o'clock in the morning and my feet had got wet I was sitting down taking my shoes off drying my feet taping things putting fresh socks back on and I couldn't believe it at the end when I had no blisters. So there's a big positive. Because <laughs> I think as well, just revert back to where you came from, is, is remember when we interviewed pre-walk, you said, I think about doing a marathon, but I thought I'll skip that and go straight to yeah. this ultra event. So actually, maybe the the advice to somebody doing it is actually maybe do that marathon, maybe do that first ultra yeah. event, maybe oh, yes. kind of work our <laughs> yeah. ways up to it. Even if it's not a competitive event, even if it's just yeah. going for a walk and doing it, it's actually building up and building that confidence up before you kind of go and bag the 100 I mean, miles. I'm, I'm actually doing the Great North Run in September this year. And when I've done it the last few years, I've raised money for charity. It's been more of a bit of a fun. But what's going to change this year? I want to do it as competitively as I can. In the past, I haven't been that bothered. It's been... I I've enjoyed doing it. I've loved doing it. It's always been a bit of fun, you know, the atmosphere and the day and raising money for charity. But this year I've actually said, well, wait there. I've just done 95 miles. I know I didn't run a lot of it. I'm a lot fitter than I've ever been. I'm recovering a lot fitter. In September, let's do the North Run, hopefully in a decent speed. Let's push... Because I think everything I need to do now, I need to push that bit harder so that when I come to the Montaigne next year, I am able to do it within that time that I would love to, you know. Um, and how do you feel now going for your... 5k run with your running group along the river Cogatin dropping. I mean, I've, to be honest, I've never. I've, I've said you at the start of this podcast when we we're talking about getting the hills so soon and then being, you know, oh god, I haven't warmed up yet. I find I've for the last six months, year anyway, I've found 5k's. Now, I don't want to sound blase when I say too short. There's a you know, for people who are training and never been running before, get up to a 5k is brilliant. So don't knock anything you're doing if you're out there just starting to run again but I find when I do a 5k it's I'm not warmed up enough and I struggle with them I actually find them quite tough so those you're doing great at 5k's my hat goes off you you're doing brilliantly I need to do a slowish 5k and then gradually build up and then as I get to the 10k I start actually feeling better and then a little bit further half marathon is probably even though I don't do them particularly fast I'm hoping to change that is probably a better distance for me because I warm up better I find 5k is pretty hard mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy so those of you out there doing 5k's I'll challenge you you know you've never run and you're doing these couch to 5k's stick it because because once you start with that you do you just move on a bit further and a bit further just keep going on it keep so. Going. Yeah. so to finish off any one word of wisdom that I've missed or anything like that or anything you want to add to the questions I've given you this afternoon Andy no, I would just say um, if if you've something you want to do, I'm going to say like it sounds a bit corny, but follow your dream. It was a dream I had. It was, I don't know, one people were talking about these events and I thought I'll never do anything like this. And then I did wake up one morning and thought oh, I've been dreaming about, I've got to a certain age and I'm, you know, I'm not going to say what that is, but a certain age when I hit a mile, uh, a biggish birthday a year ago, I want to do, I want to challenge, I want to do something other than just, the walks and little runs I do and I dreamt it was a dream I think because you go to bed thinking about these things and hearing people talk about them and I woke up thought no nah, let's just do it so and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up but you did mention the last podcast you suffer a little bit from anxiety by yeah. stepping completely out of your zone because actually you know what you did is not just like I'm going for a, a, a long walk you step so far out of that zone when you step back into the, the little circle of your normal life has it helped 
it was one of those crazy things I never thought um, I do. I suffer a little bit from anxiety, and really, over the, the last year, I've sort of managed that really well. It's not. Caused I think it's your employer that's suffering. Sort of <laughs> <Andy. laughs> it's enjoying what you do, isn't it? But you know, um, run it. When I first started suffering anxiety, it was just something that suddenly hit us out the blue, and I used to really struggle. And that's when I I, I met this little running group in mm-hmm. Rothbury where we are based, and I started running. And actually, even though yes, I can go out and walk in the hills, and that, but just being in a little group and getting that encouragement and starting to run. Um, and then chat, thinking, you know, I was someone who didn't used to enjoy running. I was more a walker, a cyclist, as you know. And even just running that first mile without stopping and then that couple of miles and then being able to do a 5K, it was amazing. It just had this sudden, like, it just felt like the weight was off your shoulders. And I thought, I was thought, um, was a friend of mine who suffers a bit from anxiety as well. And they were talking about doing these ultras and like doing the montane. And I thought, does that not make you panic more yeah, that you've... Yeah. And actually, no, it just it gives you this focus of and this challenge and this... I know, yes, there was the down points we've talked about, but it, it helps. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I can't, you know, I'm not a... Um, I'm not a therapist. I don't know. You know, if I went to talk to someone about anxiety and about the conditions I've suffered from, maybe they would explain why. But no, actually having that target and that really big challenge... It helps amazingly, and I think looking. For, I'm excited for it next year. I wish it would come sooner. I just get that training done, and uh, it's it's hard to explain. But no, the running is just. I think anyone out there who suffers from anxiety, get out there running, and it's you know you don't have to run far. Find a little friendly group and, and, and just start slowly, and it's amazing what it does to you. I really appreciate as well you talking about that on on the podcast as well because I'll be honest with you. Off the record, I've spoken to a lot of people on the podcast, and actually, it's usually after you switch the microphones off, they tell you that they suffer from depression, from yeah. anxiety. So it's actually really it's not positive. An easy thing to, for people to talk it's about. not an easy thing. I don't find people. it easy. No. To talk. I'll, be, I'll be in tears at a minute. <laughs> but no, you know, people don't talk about it enough, and uh, they should really. And no, getting out running is brilliant. A walk, you know, if you're not a runner, get out walking. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the fresher exercise, exercise as well. What it is. That's the big thing. So. It's the big thing, isn't it? Get out yeah. and enjoy yourself. So, um, yeah, a massive congratulations from all the listeners of the GPSM podcast and the team here. We thoroughly enjoyed dot watching you for those uh, three days. <laughs> it's a great thing to do, and uh, yeah, we we look forward to uh, following the progress as you build up to the yeah. next one, and uh, hopefully you'll carry on involving us in that in that journey. And uh, yeah, we'll be dot watching dot watching the same. We can talk time, about what's uh, yeah the training as it goes on. And we can I'm talk sure we'll talk about, about that, it in so. the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So if I may be here, thank you very much, Andy, for joining me on this special mid month GPS training podcast. Thanks for listening to the GPS training podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation.